how do you measure time? How do you measure time? Today, the angel in Luke's gospel says it was in the sixth month that the angel Gabriel came. And we might think, oh, the sixth month, that must be June or maybe some Hebrew calendar. But no, the six months there refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Throughout the first chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke is going to be recording time in trimesters. Later, he'll talk about Mary in the third month. Again, the whole first chapter of Luke is based on women, their pregnancies, their months of pregnancies, their trimesters. And if you've ever been in a house with a person who is pregnant, those trimesters and months are are very important and certainly how you're counting time at that point in life. So how do you measure time? When I was uh, overseas in Tanzania, I realized that they count time very differently there. Because it's close to the equator, the sun sets and rises at the same time throughout the year. And so for them, their clock begins at 6 in the morning, and 6 o'clock is noon, and then 12 o'clock is 6, and then 6 o'clock at night is midnight. And again, it was this whole different way they thought about time. Again, different cultures and different times in different places have thought about time differently. In Jesus' day, they, they thought about time much different than we did. How many of you have a watch on today? Anybody have a watch on? Okay, I'm going to tell you what. I know this. (laughs) They had no watches in Jesus' day. In fact, the minute wasn't even invented. The minute was invented thanks to an Afghan slash Iranian astronomer in about the year 1000. And it would take until the 1670s or so for the Dutch to figure out actually how to accurately measure a minute. So they had no minutes in Jesus' day. In fact, the, the hours were shorter in the winter because the sun wasn't up as long. Again, a very different sense of time. For the, for the Jewish people, for Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the primary way that they measured time was not in minutes, and not even in hours, but really by this this flow throughout the year of religious holidays that were based on the agricultural calendar. So, for instance, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Passover. And if you actually read the Gospel of John, you'll see that the whole thing is actually lined up with all of the Jewish festivals and holidays throughout the whole Gospel. Again, they thought much more in terms of annual cycle of crops and sun and harvest and God's grace throughout the year. In other words, they were a people who weren't measuring things in terms of linear time, but more in terms of seasons. They weren't as interested in the minutes, but the the moments. Both Greek and Hebrew, in fact, have a different word for the quantity of time and the quality of time, right? The sort of the sense of time of how long did it take you to eat your sandwich? versus what kind of time did you have on vacation, right? That we use the same word, but, but in Greek and Hebrew, they had different words for those. And I think all of us know how to measure time in those ways. Like, sometimes in life, it's really about how the minutes go, and other times, it's more about the moments. But I sense that at this time of year, as we approach Christmas, those two ways of keeping track of time kind of collide, Because at this time of year, we often have our calendars are so busy that it sort of becomes like the the Mayala's family this week, we were counting, we were measuring the minutes because everybody had to get exactly into place. And and I'm going to admit, we have an Advent wreath, but many nights it was was used in shifts, 
right? It was not everybody sort of gathering around for one calm moment of prayer. Like we're, we're coming and we're going. I'm sure that many of you know this, though, right? You've got some horde of people coming at 6, so at 5.20, this needs to go in the oven, and at 4.45, this needs to go in the oven, so at 3.55, the vegetables have to be chopped, so you had to be home from the grocery store at 2.23, right? You've lived those days and at the seasons, haven't you? Yeah. Yet, on the other hand, we know that this season we're supposed to live in the moment, get the magic, right? Soak every little bit of Christmas into it's the very marrow out of it. But then all of us have this collision where, like, we rushed from some meeting, we finally got to where we were supposed to be, we sat down for the concert, and we realized we hadn't gone to the bathroom, and we just sat there, right? Or, or some preacher is preaching the greatest Christmas or Advent sermon, and what are you doing? In your mind, you're like, okay, this Amazon Prime package comes at four, and then I've got to get to the grocery store by this time, Right? So again, we're, we're focusing on counting the minutes when there's a voice that is saying, focus on the moments. Focus on the moments. So how do you measure time? And the Bible, I think, is a gentle reminder again and again that we focus probably too much on the minutes and not enough on the, on the moments. We think of time as sort of a an objective thing, right? Uh, like if you're running or if you're swimming, there's no referees to blame. There's simply the time the clock starts and the time you cross the finish line. It's objective, right? Time should be this so clear thing that's measurable. In high school, every one of my classes measured 43 minutes. But I can tell you, they all were not experienced in the same way. Some of my classes felt like three-hour lectures. Others, I sat there and said, wow, the bell rang already. That was great, right? Time is sort of a, a relative in spite of the fact that it seems objective kind of thing. I think the times in life when, when time really starts to sort of mess with us and it really becomes sort of uncomfortable how we measure it is when we're uh, awaiting something, right? When we're, when we're longing for something, especially if it's something that's really challenging. This week in our church, we had one person who was awaiting surgery. And oh, those days seemed like weeks in themselves. Again, we often find that when we're waiting, time does strange things and seems so drawn out. Today, the angel Gabriel comes and speaks about a long time that the people have been waiting the angel Gabriel, as he's delivering these words to Mary, says, The child born to you will reign on the throne of his father, David. And this is kind of curious, because if you're like, I thought Joseph was the father. You are correct. David was a king who lived a thousand years before Jesus. Again, let me say that. David was a king who lived a thousand years before Jesus. And for a thousand years, people had been longing for God to make good on God's promises. For God had said to David, there would be an everlasting throne. But within one generation, there was civil war. And ever since then, there was all sorts of calamities. And so people would have psalms, like the psalm we read today, praying for a king who would be righteous. And the prophet Isaiah, probably in around the year 600, says there will one day be a king but as yet, again, it would take more centuries, more time, finally a millennia later, a millennia later before this prayer, this hope was fulfilled. 
That's a long time. So what do we do about this this fact, this reality that the Bible brings up, that it took God a, a thousand years to answer and make good on a promise? I think in our lives there are, are many times where we, we have something that we're praying for, something that we're hoping for, and it's not coming to be. It's not happening in the time that we would like God to move on. And so then there comes this sort of this answer and a very reasoned response, something along the lines of, well, things happen on God's timing, not our own. And there is clearly a difference in our own sense of time and God's sense of time. For what is a thousand years for God? A blink of an eye, a breath, a moment. So again, we have this reality that that God thinks about time differently than we do. And so perhaps Advent then is a season of patience. I think it's in fact really the one church season of the year where we acknowledge that the world hasn't yet become what it could be where we openly acknowledge, come, Lord Jesus, something hasn't yet come to be which we want and hunger for in our lives or in this world. Again, there are so many of those times in life where we are yearning, waiting for God to act in time and space that we want, and yet it doesn't quite happen that way. I want us to think about what we might mean, though, by things happen in God's time. Because people say this, and, and I've said this too, but, but I kind of worry that when we say something happens on God's time, then we sort of get this image that our prayers go into sort of the grand sort of intergalactic bureaucracy of prayers and that, you know, the people in the union are on shift or something on break and they'll get to our prayers when they feel like it. We just have to understand the cosmic timing. I don't think that's what we mean by things happen in God's time. Between David living and dying, and Jesus, again, were a thousand years. But things had to happen. Things had to happen in that thousands of years. Babylon would have to rise up and have a king who conquered Jerusalem so there could be a Jewish diaspora. A king of Persia had to rise to free them, the people from Babylon, to go back, during which they wrote the Holy Scriptures down finally in their written form. And then there would have to be a king named Alexander who came and conquered the known world so that there could be a language and that the Jewish Scriptures would be translated into something that other people could understand. After which, a man named Julius Caesar had to come and win a battle in Philippi to grant the Jews who helped him in that certain right. All this had to happen. I could go further. It all had to happen in order for Jesus to be born at the right time in the right place for the message to go forth. It couldn't have happened earlier. It had to happen in that moment, in that season. And it's a reminder that God was long at work when the people wondered what God was doing, why God wasn't answering their prayers. God was at work in strange and mysterious ways. But I don't want to leave you with a history lesson today. I'll I'll make it more personal. I'll ground it here in the story of Mary. Mary hears today that she will bear a son. And at that point, she she will become pregnant. But when she becomes pregnant, she will not know it. Humans don't know that they're pregnant when they are. But already things are at work on a cellular level, changing everything, making room for the baby. But at that point, Mary cannot see. Mary can only trust the word of the angel that God is doing something good. Again, Mary has no visual proof at that point. She can only trust the word of the angel that God is doing something, that she is 
expecting. I'd like to offer that, that rather than say that Advent is just a season of waiting, I think it's really a season of expecting. For Mary's whole life now is going to be one of expectation where she can't always see it, but she knows that God is at work. And finally, the real proof in the pudding won't come until the end when Jesus had died and Jesus is risen. And then she knows indeed that the son of righteousness has come. Mary's life is a reminder that at times in our lives when we don't think that God is at work, when we wonder why there hasn't yet been peace in the Ukraine, when we wonder why there hasn't been reconciliation in this relationship, where we wonder why we can't kind of make it work at our job, where our job hasn't come in, where there hasn't been a healing yet, when we have these prayers, we can take heart from Mary's story and realize that God is often at work in subtle, small, and mysterious ways that are necessary that yet we cannot see. The good news, of course, is that Jesus comes into this world, this son, this son of righteousness who will rule and does rule in our lives. And because of what Jesus has done for you, because of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection for you, you too can hear the words of the angels, not just for Mary, but for you, that in Christ you too are graced. And that God is doing a new thing. And even on days when you cannot see it, you can trust in this word of grace, this word of power, that God is indeed at work. At work in small and beautiful and mysterious ways as we live in expectation. Amen.